Boom. All right. We are in. Um, yes. Amigo. Yeah. It, it rhymes. Yeah. We get it. We get it. It raps. Wouldn't it be cool if one day I could just rap a whole sermon? I, I saw a TikTok the other day of Eminem rapping a Dr. Seuss book. Like he was literally like just reading a Dr. Seuss book, just rapping. I'm like, okay, that sounds like that, pretty cool. Uh, we are in week 13 of our series, Ephesians. Uh, we have been going through verse by verse, starting in Ephesians chapter 1. We are now going to chapter 5. But if you're like, wait, 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 Pastor Matt, this is my first time here. I don't know what Ephesians is all about. How am I ever going to know what's happening? There's different ways. You can always go back and look on the Queen Assembly Youth Podcast, on Apple, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. But luckily for you, I am going to recap in the best way I can, the first four chapters of Ephesians so that we can get the most out of what Paul is going to hit us with tonight. So everything that Paul has been teaching us, it's going to finally start getting very practical. The last couple of weeks, he's been getting practical. The first half of Ephesians, he says all this stuff like, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did for you. And now he's getting into, so you should do this and not this. Now you should do this and, and, and not that. That's what Paul is going to be getting into tonight and the next few weeks. Um, but basically, the, how you can summarize Ephesians and how you can summarize Christianity is that before we give our lives to Jesus, we are dead in our sins. Now notice that. That's Ephesians chapter 2. It doesn't say that in your sins, like before Jesus, that you're just a bad person. It doesn't say just before Jesus that you, maybe you were a good person that just kind of gone off the rails a little bit. No, it says that in your sins, without Jesus, you're dead. You're dead. Like, you're spiritually dead, and a dead thing can't make itself alive again. And whenever we are in that state, we do whatever that flesh wants, and this leads to a life that is, in the moment, exciting. In the moment, it's fun, but ultimately, it leads to pain, death, and confusion. And out of that life, that life of death and pain and confusion, it flows depression, it flows loneliness, it flows anxiety, and it flows isolation from all of the things in life that truly matter. But God, who is rich in mercy, he showed us his grace by giving us what none of us deserve, and he gave us eternal life whenever we finally choose to follow Jesus and put our whole trust and faith in him and what he did. Because, and this is only possible because Jesus gave himself up for us. We believe that Jesus was perfect. We believe he was innocent. He was holy, but he died in our place. He carried our burden, our sin, and our guilt, and our shame so that we could be made new. The Bible says that he became sin for us so that we could be made new. And as a result, we are now a new creation. We are adopted into the family of God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. We are adopted into his family. We can have peace from God. We can have peace with each other. We don't have to have divisions anymore. We are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. All these things are true for us whenever we choose to put our faith and trust in Jesus. So the next question that we should ask is, okay, what does God expect of us now? Like once we put our faith in him, once we understand that we are chosen, that we are now blameless with Jesus, what does God expect from us now? I'm glad you guys asked. I'm going to tell you. He expects us to live a life worthy of our calling. Our new life should reflect just that, that we are new that we are different, that we are changed, that our old life is gone, that now we have a new life. That's what God expects. And the next question is, but how do we do that? 
How do we live a life that's worthy of God's calling? How do we live the life that God expects us to live? This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. I'm going to reference it so many times that I thought it was good to just put it back on the screen and read it because we went through it so fast back in November. He says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and you were taught by how much the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirits of your mind and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And so God expects us to live worthy of our calling, and we do that by taking off our old life. Like we literally, we take off the old Tucker, we take off the old gear, we take off the old Ashley, and instead we put on the new self that has been created in the image of God that is created to look just like Jesus. And so, like, what does that look like? Paul, he, he continues to lay it out. What does it look like to take off our old life? What does it look like to put on our new life? That's what we talked about last week. It looks like taking off lying Instead, putting on the truth. It looks like take off stealing. Instead, put on a generous heart. It looks like taking off anger and outbursts and rage. And instead, putting on God's correct response. It looks like taking off our foul language and our bad jokes. And instead, putting on words of encouragement that lift somebody up and help them follow Jesus even better. It looks like Jesus. And that's why Paul tells us to imitate God by walking in love because love is always looking out for the best of others. So how do we take off that old self? How do we live in that new life? How do we live like Jesus? How do we walk worthy? It looks like that word love, walking in love. And so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5 and we're going to continue to verse 14. This is how Paul picks up, and we read the first two verses of this last week, but I'm going to put them in here for context. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love. As Christ also loved us, he gave himself up for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality in any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you, as is proper for the saints. Obscene and foolish talking and crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, that every sexual, immoral, or impure, or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I was kind of joking around with Matthew and Caden at lunch today. Like, Paul, like, he's been sugarcoating us for weeks now. Uh, and now Paul is finally getting to the point in Ephesians where it's just like a punch in the stomach, just one right after another. Paul is just like, all right, here's, here's really where I want to change in your life. So as followers of Jesus, we live in a world, we live in a tension. We call this the already and the not yet. Like, we know from reading Ephesians that once we give our lives to Jesus, that we are already saved, that we're already chosen, that we're already forgiven, we're made new, we're already living in the kingdom of God, but at the same time, we're not yet. Both of those things are true. We're not fully there yet. Yes, we are chosen, but the old life, you know, the old life, the life that you used to live before Jesus, sometimes that still creeps up. 
and it still tempts us and it still taps you on the shoulder. It says, hey, come back to this old life. Hey, it, it's funner on the other side. It, it, it's better the other way. Even though we're saved, even though we've given our life to Jesus, even though we have put on our new life and now we are a new creation, the old life comes up and it says, come back. Just because we took off that old life, just because we put on the new life, doesn't mean the enemy is gonna, not going to come and tempt us to go back the other way. And so Paul, he's, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to, to people that have already given lives to Jesus, but he still finds it necessary to write about these things. And so we're going to start in verse 3. It says, sexual immorality, any impurity or greedy person should not be seen among you. It should not be seen among any person who claims to be a Christian. And so just to clarify, sexual immorality refers to any kind of sexual action, any kind of sexual words or thoughts outside of marriage. And that includes lustful thoughts about someone that you're not married to. That includes watching pornography or any kind of sexual activity with another person that is not your spouse. And that is because that is how God created it to be between one man and one woman for their whole life. God created everything to be in the bounds of marriage. And so you're thinking like, okay, like I get that. Our generation is full of that kind of stuff. But don't think that your generation is the only generation that has ever dealt with this. Paul is writing to the people of Ephesus. In Ephesus or any ancient world in the Roman world in the first century, they dealt with a lot of these same things. Like there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, people were, I mean, of course, having affairs, adultery was a big problem. Men were sleeping with their slave girls because slaves were still a thing. There's incest, there's prostitution. At, at some kind of temples, there was um, some really bad stuff happening at temples. So there was a lot of stuff happening that these people who gave lives to Jesus, they came out of. Their old life was corrupted by all of this Stuff And so Paul, it was a big problem. But whenever the Bible says that these things aren't even supposed to be heard among you, that's what it says, like these things shouldn't even be heard of among you. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about these things or we shouldn't call these things out. It means that if an outsider was observing your life or the life of a Christian, like even your private life, if someone was observing what you said or what you did or what you thought, they shouldn't even be able to say these things about you because they don't exist. That's what Paul is writing about there. Living this way where sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or any kind of greed is present is inconsistent with our new identity as followers of Jesus. Paul then continues in verse 4. I think this one's a little bit more encompassing of us all. It says, Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable but rather giving thanks. And you might be thinking, like, Paul, he just said this last week. He found it necessary to say it again. Apparently, these people in Ephesians, they were just running the mouth. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building someone up. And here he says, like, you, taking a step further, that foolish talking or crude joking is not suitable. This, again, shows us just how important our words are. Jesus, I think he said in Matthew chapter 6, that out of the heart or out of the mouth flow what's actually inside of your heart. Why should we not have these kind of words or these kind of jokes? It's because we should be made new. Our heart and our mind should be made, made new. And if they're not, if our heart's not made new, then it's going to come out in jokes. It's going to come out in crude joke or crude, foolish talking or crude joking. 
which are not suitable. This kind of identity in in talking, it smudges our new identity in Christ. And there's lots of reasons for that. There's lots of reasons why this kind of talking, this kind of joking is not good. One, it it smudges our new identity. But uh, for another, like our heart and our, our mind that's been recreated, it shouldn't have these things coming out anyways. But then it also corrupts our witness. You might be saying, like, I'm a Christian. Hey, you should come to church with me. Hey, have you heard about my friend Jesus? You should get to know him. You, should, you could be trying to share Jesus with somebody. And then they're like, why? You just said that really weird joke five minutes ago. Why would I want to come to hear about your Jesus? And people will start thinking that we're hypocrites. People won't want to know about the God who changed our life if we don't actually have a changed life. That's why this kind of stuff is important. But then Paul, he says, instead, we should, our words should give thanks to God and to worship him. And that, here's just a quick thought on that. Like, that's kind of weird to put there. Paul says, don't have anything to do with sexual immorality. Don't have anything to do with greed. Don't have anything to do with bad jokes. Instead, give thanks to God. Like, that kind of seems like an like, overweighted thing. Like, you would think that Paul would be like, instead, take off those bad things. Instead, put on holiness. Put on purity. Put on the mind of Christ and all these kind of things. But instead, he says, give thanks to God. My question is, like, why would Paul put that? Like, why is giving thanks to God the counter to all of those things? Because whenever we're giving our thanks to God, it is putting our mind and our spirit in alignment with what matters most. And gratitude and thanksgiving to God and worship, that is where we are being recreated into his image. And then in verse 5, he shows us why we should actually take this seriously. Because there's a lot of times we hear this kind of stuff like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before, but it's so hard. Or maybe I, I just want to do this. Or I'll be think of as an outsider. I'll be made fun of if I don't do these things. So I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to do whatever I want when I want to do it. Verse 5 tells us why it's actually important. It says, for know and recognize this, that every sexually immoral or impure or a greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That is, anytime you see a statement like that in the Bible, that should stop you in your tracks and make you re-examine what Paul just said before that. And then re-examine your life and put them together and be like, is this me? Is Paul talking to me here? Do I need to repent? Do I need to, to get closer to Jesus in this? This doesn't mean that you have to be perfect and never sin again to enter God's kingdom. Because if that was the case, then nobody would go to heaven in the first place. But it does mean that if your life is characterized by the things Paul just said not to do, then maybe you were never going to enter God's kingdom in the first place. Maybe you were just calling yourself a Christian and saying that you were a Christian and saying that you were made new, but in reality, you were never actually made new. Maybe you never actually allowed Jesus to change and transform you. That is the kind of question that we should be asking there. Because out of your heart and out of your mind and out of your thoughts and actions flow who you actually are. It's not that we have to be perfect to never sin again. It's that someone who lives their life in sin proves that they were never really walking with God in the first place. And that doesn't mean that Christians are never just going to sin. They're never going to mess up. Because we don't believe in one saved, always saved. But we believe that we have a God who saves us and that he's going to transform us. But we believe it's also a process. This is where there's that tension of God expects us to never sin again, but yes, Christians, we're still going to sin again. So like, 
we ask the question, like, am I really saved or am I really not? And that's where we get into a bunch of weeds. And we have to go back to the question of, like, what is your relationship with Jesus really like? We have a God who desires to show mercy, who desires to show grace, who will forgive us, that even when we mess up, he's still going to be there. That even when we mess up, it doesn't mean we're automatically kicked out of the family. We have to choose to turn and walk away from God in that. We also believe at the same time that you are, when you're saved, that you're truly saved. We believe that when you're given your life to Jesus, that you are already sealed by the Holy Spirit and that you are eternally secure and that when you sin and mess up, that Jesus will still forgive you. This is a confusing topic to talk about because following Jesus is not like a, a night and day thing that happens. It's not like a switch you turn on and off. It's a process. You give your life to Jesus, and one day, or like you're not immediately going to look like Jesus and act like Jesus the very next day, but it's a process of growing into becoming more like him every single day to where you're eventually getting closer and closer to him. You're becoming more and more like him. And then Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's going to continue. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The way that we fall back into temptation is by lies, by some kind of lie. Empty arguments and empty deceptions are the main weapons that the enemy uses to get us to turn back to the old life, to turn back from the light to the dark. Because you think about, like, why would we ever go back to that old life? It's because in our mind, we believe a lie that there was something better, there was something that we needed more in that old life. Otherwise, if we truly understood what that old life meant, the death and the corruption, the loneliness and all that that brought. And we knew all of the joy and all the peace that was waiting for us in the new life. We would never go back. So the only reason why we would ever go back is because we're falling for some kind of lie. And the Bible warns that those who do those things are still under God's wrath. And Paul says that is who you were. You were also that. You were also under God's wrath. And notice the language that Paul uses here. He doesn't say that you used to be in darkness. He doesn't say like you came out of darkness and now you're in the light. The word that Paul uses, and it's very deliberate, and he says you were darkness. You were darkness. He is talking about the core of our being. The core of our identity was the word Darkness. It describes who we were before Jesus. Our lives before Jesus were worse than we could ever imagine. And this should bring back um, 
this should bring back the imagery that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, that we were dead in our sins. It's not just that we were not good in our sins, that we were just not a good enough person in our sins, that we just messed up a few times. Paul says that we were dead in our sins. He's also right now describing our life before him is that you were darkness. We were not just good people that stumbled off the path. We were at our very nature darkness. For us Christians, we should remember what that means. Our lives before we gave our lives to Jesus, they were worse than we could ever imagine that they were. And for those of you who maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, this isn't to scare you. This isn't to make you feel bad about yourself. But this is to make you think, my life, like, it, it's not all that great. Like, maybe there's good things happening, but in my mind, in my heart, I feel like there's still something there. I feel like there's still something I need. I still feel like I'm missing out on something. Like, like my engine is just not firing on all cylinders. I feel like there's something else. There's something that's just not satisfying. There's something that's just not wrong. It's because at the core of your being is darkness. The Bible does not stray away from the seriousness of sin in the reality of our lives before Jesus, and neither should we. In the Bible, it has a lot to say about those, the words for light and darkness. We kind of got into that a little bit before the message in, in Genesis chapter 1. We can't fully get into that, but what we need to understand whenever we see that word darkness and how serious to take it, and the word light the Bible talks about, darkness is used to describe the realm in which Satan has control of. Darkness and sin are now the nature of human condition. And the Bible also says that darkness is the the realm that we were rescued from. Paul says that you were darkness. And then in Colossians, another letter that Paul wrote, he says that whenever we put our faith and trust in Jesus, whenever we choose to put our trust in him, he says that Jesus rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us instead into the kingdom of the Son in which he loves, which is the kingdom of light. So how we live matters. It's all getting back to that. How we live matters. Not only does what you do shape who you're becoming. Think about the habits that you do, the things that you do. Everything, every thought you think, everything you watch, every action you do is forming different synapses in your brain. And it's forming who you are becoming. So that's true. But at the same time, what's also true is that who you are should shape what you do. That part might be confusing. But focus on that last part. Who you are should shape what you do. Because you have been saved. Because you have been changed. Because you now have a new identity in Christ and the light. That should change what you do. Your life should look differently. And that's what Paul is talking about in verse 9. He says, For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So whenever you see fruit in the Bible, that equals the results or it's the proof of living in the light. When you know that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That is what your life should look like with those things. That is the result. And so a life living in the the light, the life that is formed by Jesus, it should have fruit of the light. It should have proof that you've been changed. And that looks like goodness and righteousness. In truth, walking in the light looks different than walking in the darkness. When you give your life to Jesus, it should look different than your life before Jesus. 
when you are a Christian, whenever you give in your life to that, your life should look noticeably different from those at your school, from those on your soccer team, from those that you walk around with that don't follow Jesus. Your life should be very different because one of us is in the light and one of us in the darkness. That's the, the main thing that Paul is trying to get us to notice and to do. But Paul has one last instruction He says in verse 11 through 14, he says, but don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible for what makes everything visible is light. And so we know that as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, it's a process. It doesn't happen over, I guess that's, that's the part that doesn't work because I won't go there anymore. It doesn't happen overnight. Instead, it's a process that takes uh, time to become more and more like him, to look more and more like Jesus. But as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we walk a process of renewal, of taking off our old selves. And that means that we are being intentional about getting rid of the lifestyle and the behaviors that we did before Jesus. Like it doesn't happen overnight, but it also doesn't happen by accident. We don't take off our old life accidentally. It's us being intentional of of saying no to the things that we used to do and the things that we used to live. And so as we live, as we grow in our new life and become more mature in our relationship with Jesus, we are called to help newer believers grow in their relationship with God by exposing the things that they do bad, the, the evil deeds to the light, so that they can also become more like Jesus. And so there's a little bit of instruction in that that Paul's trying to give us. That doesn't mean that we go and try to correct people who aren't following Jesus. Like, you don't just go to your friend who's, who doesn't know Jesus and say, hey, you're sinning, and here's all the reasons why, and we need to fix that, because that's not going to help them. That's not going to change them. And if they're not a Christian, then why should we expect them to live like a Christian anyways? But Paul is talking about Christian to Christian. It is evil to let another Christian, another brother or sister in Christ, continue in their sin. You would think we're loving them if we just let them do them. We just let them continue doing what they're going to do. But that is the opposite of loving them. We have to expose what they're doing to Christ. It comes from humility. Whenever we do this, that doesn't mean that we expose all of their mistakes and all their wrongs to them in front of everybody. But it means that we do speak the truth to them in love. It means that we expose their evil and the darkness to the light by coming up to them with humility and saying, hey, this is something I noticed, and this is why it's bad, and here's what the Bible says that we should do about it differently. Then it comes from humility. The band will go ahead and come back. Here's the main point from the night. As Christians, we must live differently than the world around us. Our lives should look different than they were before. That is the main point, is that if you follow Jesus, then your life should look different. You should say things that are different. You should act differently. You should think differently than the person who is not. We are not called to isolate ourselves from the world, but we're called to live differently than our non-Christian friends. The Bible never tells us to just leave. Like, just because you're, you're a Christian now, like, just hang out with just your Christian people. Don't ever hang out with anybody else. No, the Bible says that we are also supposed to be a light in the world. 
we are supposed to make friends with those who aren't Christian so that we can share the light of God with them, so that we can show them Jesus. But at the same time, we cannot go back to darkness to help them find Jesus, especially when it comes to sexual standards. The Bible is very clear about that. We can't get into that that darkness with them to help them follow Jesus because what's going to happen is that we're going to end up staying in that darkness. And we know the things that they say, like, like you try to get someone to come to church or try to get someone to come to Jesus, like just do this, everyone's doing it. It's okay to do this, everyone's doing it. It's okay for, to, for two people the same gender to, to, to love each other and, and to, to date each other. It's okay, everyone's doing it. It's okay to change who you are. Everyone's doing it. It's not okay to go back to the darkness once you've already been in the light. We have to watch out not to adopt the same attitudes that the world has, to go back to the life that we had before. The Bible warns that that behavior is inconsistent with our new identity and that those who do this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's important for us Christians to identify with non-Christians so that we can share the good news with them. To be like, hey, you play basketball, I play basketball too. That's cool. Hey, oh, I see that, that you're in this class and that you like art, I like art too. It's okay to identify with non-Christians so that we can share the good news with them. But we have to watch and be intentional and not to let their old life creep up and, and expose us and then bring us back into that. And so God calls us to be different from the world. And what that means practically is that as we are being different, as we are trying to be light in the midst of darkness, it means that those who are not Christian yet, they're going to be uncomfortable whenever we are around. And we're going to have to get okay with that. Because God does not call us to be comfortable. He doesn't call us to blend in. He doesn't call us to be a part of the culture, to be part of the crowd. He calls us to be different. There's something inside of us that wants to make a difference. There's something inside of us that wants to make a difference in this world. That's one of our core beliefs as a youth group. We hope that you belong. We We hope that you discover hope. We hope that you grow in God. But we also hope that we make a difference in the world. There's something inside of all of us, especially once we give our life to Jesus, because he gives us a mission to change the world. We don't change the world by blending into it. We change the world by being different than it. God calls us to be different. That means that unbelievers, they're being uncomfortable when we don't join in with their jokes, or we don't watch the shows that they watch, or we don't do the things that they do on the weekend. Or we don't treat our girlfriend the way that they treat their girlfriend. They're going to be uncomfortable whenever they find out that we are different from them. But God calls for our lives to look differently and to make a difference in the world. And that is how we make a difference. We make a difference by being different. We make a difference by being like Jesus in a world that is anything but. We make a difference by being love whenever everyone around us is being hateful. We make a difference by showing joy when everyone around us is just being negative. We make a difference by showing forgiveness when everyone else would just hold a grudge. We make a difference by being like Jesus, by being different than the world around us. That is how we truly make a difference in the world. If you want to make a difference, if you want to change the world, it's not going to happen by blending in. It's not going to happen by just being like someone else. It happens by being more and more like Jesus. So with every head bowed, and every eye closed. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said yes to him, if you never raised your hand, you never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins.
cleanse me, if you've never given yourself to him and made him your Lord and your Savior, but you want to, God is calling for you tonight. Think about that. Think about what it means for you to be in this room under my voice tonight. There is a God who created the world. There's a God who is in control of everything right now. There's a God who created you. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. He knows your birthday. He knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows the thoughts that you're thinking right now. And the only thing that he wants so desperately right now is to have a relationship with you, for you to give your life to him. And he did everything he could to make that happen. He sent his one and only son to die for you. He knew the mistakes that you made. He, knew th- he knows the mistakes you're going to make. And he still chose to die for you, to take your place on the cross, to take your sin, to take your guilt. And he bore it himself. And the only thing that he asks of you is to surrender to him and to trust. And he promised you eternal life and eternal kingdom. He promises joy today, joy tomorrow. That's what God asks. If you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to, if you want to make him your Lord and Savior, we you just raise your hand right now wherever you're seated? I'm not going to call you up to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you, but you want to give your life to Jesus and you want it to mean something. Like you, don't, you just don't want to be someone who says you're a Christian, but not really. But you want to you really mean it. If that's you, I see you in the back. If there's anybody else, you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to, you want to enter into his kingdom. You want to be light and not darkness. Okay, I want everyone to say this after me. For those who might be saying it for their first time, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Make me new. Make me to be just like you. In Jesus' name. believe God is changing hearts, even if you didn't raise your hand. God is changing hearts and minds as we turn to him. And it takes God to do it. We don't have the power inside of us to change ourselves. We don't have the power inside of us to take off that old life and instead put on the new one. We have to put our full trust and surrender into Jesus and trust him each and every day and, and, and say, God, here's what I'm tempted with. God, here's what I'm struggling with. Help me to get over that. Help me to become more like you. That's the everyday process. That's the grind. It's trusting Jesus every day and saying, Jesus, I want to go back to the old life. That seems so much fun. My body says I want to do this. My mind says I want to do this. My friends are doing this and saying, God, I need your power. I need your strength. That's that's what it looks like. So for those of you, I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone to stand. The worshiping, they're about to lead us in another song. But if you want to make a difference in the world, if you truly want to make a difference in this world, and you want to live your life differently, I'm just going to ask you to come up to the front and give that to God. Say, God, help me to live differently. Help me to have that boldness. Help me to have that courage to, to get up in front of my friends who might think I'm weird, but to say, I want to make a difference, and I want God's power to do it. And as you do that, I want you to come up to the front and say, God, give me that power. Give me that boldness. Give me that ability. It's from you, God. Jesus, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your grace and your gospel. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and minds. God, I know it's nothing I can say. It's nothing I can do. But God, it is your spirit alone in our hearts changing us. So God, I pray that as we ponder you, as we think about you, as we praise you again, God, I pray that you continue to do that work inside of our hearts and minds, the only you can do. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's come up to the front. Let's praise and worship God. Let's give him everything that we have so we can become more like him.